Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people leading creative, outside the box, I mean outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. Our vision is to unfold God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope is that these stories will help you find ways to engage in your own communities as we work together for a more just and loving world. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, people of faith, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. So today on episode four of season four of Jesus Has Left the Building, we have guest Reverend Lawrence Richardson, who is this incredibly interesting UCC pastor who um, has an incredible digital ministry as well as parish ministry. Um, And we are really excited to um, hear he has incredible expertise around digital ministry um, and is um, giving us some information about just the platforms for social social media and the ways that those um, platforms can be used with the different generations, which I think is a really interesting um, little tidbit for people who are interested in doing some ministry via social media, thinking about how they can um, relate to the people that they have in their communities and maybe the people they want to join their communities. So Lawrence is also a digital ministry trainer for Auburn Seminary, which we thought was a really cool thing. And we wanted him to bring some, but not all, because you know, you might want to sign up for their class. Right. <laughs> um, some of those um, tools and skills uh, that they teach in that space. Also, just another fun fact is that Lawrence is ordained United Church of Christ, and so he's a UCC minister. Um, so he is in the same tradition as um, Mandy and and me. So that's kind of fun. We know that we have gathered people from sort of all different backgrounds and traditions, but we just wanted to do a shout out to the United Church of Christ. Yep. So um, Lawrence gives us five of the top platforms that are used by Generation X and below, and then five different social media platforms used for X and above. Right. And they're different. Right, they're not the same. We named this Feeding 5000 because Lawrence tells a story about how um, the use of media um, takes it maybe from 50 in a sanctuary to going out into the world and reaching thousands right. of people. Yeah, it's a it's a completely different way of imagining that scripture text where Jesus reaches 5,000 with social media, the ways that we can reach, I mean, really infinite numbers of people is kind of amazing. So we're excited for you to hear this conversation. Welcome, Lawrence. We are so glad that you are with us today. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much, Mandy and Marta, for inviting me to speak with you all today. We got wind of some of your work um, from some colleagues when we were talking about and sharing this idea for season four around digital ministries and your name popped up and you're also um, a UCC minister and um, 
and one of our one of our colleagues in this country. And so, um, I guess what we really first want to do is um, ask the question, and for you to tell the story about your medium and medium and tool that you are using to do ministry. So that's that's the first part of the question. The second part of the question is. There are so many options. Why the ones that you have chosen? And I just say that in, and that I know that you are a local pastor. Um, I want, I would like you to dive into what it means to be a digital pastor. And also, I would love to hear a little bit about your role. And correct me if I'm getting titles wrong, but like the digital trainer piece from Auburn Seminary. Um, and I want you to talk about a little bit of all of that. Okay, sounds great. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, I, I will uh, end with the first or start with the first question. Um, and that is just really about my uh, ability to really navigate social and digital media, uh, not for my own personal pleasure, while I do enjoy it for those purposes, uh, I really do see them as tools for community building and connections. And so we, uh, in terms of the work that I do, uh, I try to stay in the the top five um, media platforms that exist. Uh, I understand now that with TikTok quickly rising, there will be a really uh, a tight spot for the top five. So it'll most likely be the top six. Um, and, and so I do have a team helping me uh, get started with the TikTok transformation as well. Um, <laughs> we uh, are too. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. Uh, but I, I started training with Auburn Seminary uh, several years ago, um, because at that particular time, uh, digital media and, and ministry uh, were pet projects of mine, but just really still getting its feet in the mainstream um, church spaces and religious circles. And so I started doing these sorts of things on my own and having Auburn as a, a platform of support was really helpful for me because it's one thing to be a 20 something, you know, using these platforms uh, for ministry ideas that I have and to keep you know, connecting with communities that I was developing on my own. And it's another thing to begin learning the practical and theoretical aspects of these media, the tools, how to build relationships, but also things to really be mindful of because a lot of things don't transfer in the same ways online as they do offline. And so I get to train people literally all over the world. Um, last week, I got to train the College of Bishops uh, for the Episcopal Church. And we had people from Hong Kong and people from Puerto Rico, like just people from everywhere on this on this training um, call. And pre-COVID, I was being, you know, sent to all of these places to train folks in their settings so that it was uh, more uh, accessible for them. And now because of COVID, I'm using the very tools that I'm teaching about to teach these things to people. So it's, it's quite fascinating, but I, I love it. And I'm a, I'm a local pastor, as you said, Linden Hills UCC is my congregation. We're in Southwest Minneapolis. Uh, because I was doing digital ministry before um, my work with this particular parish, 
I believe that my work online was an asset and why the relationship worked for both the congregation and myself because I've been able to host a series of social media trainings for members of the congregation and the wider community. We've installed uh, different kinds of tech and, and, and digital systems to support our, uh, I would say, our migration toward these different spaces. Uh, and in 2017, we uh, put in a giant projection screen and we used that to broadcast people from online prayer requests that are coming up in real time. Also, music videos and things that would enhance the worship service. And so they were able to see that there was this uh, real fluid line between online and offline. I think before that people were very fixed in these spaces. You were either sitting in front of a computer and that meant you were online or with your phone or with your mobile device, or you were sitting in front of a person and that meant you were offline. Whereas now in my congregation, I invite them when they come to check in online, take out their phones or their mobile devices and to take notes or you know record uh, things that they wanna remember. And of course there's privacy concerns. And so we ask people to you know, sign releases and things like that. And if they don't wanna be involved in videos or pictures, then there are things that we can do to protect their identity. Uh, but there's a way that we've been able to incorporate all of what we're doing, both online and offline, into our spaces. And so uh, I think of it more as a hybrid approach. And I think that the uh, the pandemic has shown us that there is a need for such an approach uh, because mm -hmm. before there was a lot of churches that were online, um, but it was a separate type of ministry, whereas now it's the main event for most of our churches. And so when we go back to worshiping in person, I can't imagine that we'll just say, okay, no more Facebook, no more YouTube, no more <laughs> interacting with people all over the world that found our worship services meaningful. I think that we'll always have to have some foot in both worlds. Mm -hmm. So um, a couple of things are just kind of um, coming up for me as you're speaking. Number number one is like, um, I love that fluid sort of idea. Um, but I think for some that might be, um, that might, that might be hard and right. um, scary. Like, and scary and all, all of all of that stuff. And so, um, especially for small context, right? Mm -hmm. So um, what am I trying to ask here, Mandy? I'm trying to ask like, so, so some people would say like that if you're gonna have an in-person worship service, then you need to do that and you need to do that really well, right? Some people would say, if you're gonna do digital ministries, it needs to be, more serving like alongside of your in-person as sort of a para thing. But what you're saying is that um, you want to integrate it into the whole life of the church. Am I hearing that correctly? Yes, Marta, absolutely. And it's not an original idea. In fact, uh, there is a digi pastor at Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, and the Riverside Church of New York has a digital minister. And so both of those um, circumstances kind of lend themselves to kind of this picture that I see, that while there is a specific minister or ministry 
devoted to these specific tools that we find a way to integrate them into the life of the entire congregation so that there isn't this split between the people who come and view online and those who come and sit in the pew and are they the real members and are the other ones not real members because they don't come into the physical sanctuary so just trying to uh, blend some of that together. I don't believe that one pastor can do all of it. So in right. a smaller, smaller context, you know, um, and I, I do some teaching uh, overseas as well. And a lot of our uh, partners in Germany, they have uh, similar situations where they have a lot of rural churches and it's one pastor to maybe three or four small congregations. Mm -hmm. And for them, you know, in theory, social media makes sense because we could connect all of those churches and everybody could be connected to the same pastor and hear the same sermon instead of having to get it preached four different times. But the reality is, is like you are both lifting up, you know, is that uh, feasible when you're thinking about broadband service, uh, Wi-Fi connectivity, who's going to set up the equipment and run it? <laughs> you know, there's very practical things to consider. And, and that is why I think that a community needs to be intentional with who they call to do this aspect of ministry. Because while the pastor can lead and vision all of it, they can't do practically all of the pieces. So there does need to be additional staff uh, that is supportive. So what would your advice be for, because the majority of, I would say the majority of UCC congregations right now, really progressive um, Christianity in this country are smaller contexts. Um, so, and we also want to, be moving forward um, post COVID-19 with some type of digital social media ministry. So I know that you don't wanna share your, all of your secrets from um, Auburn Seminary's um, digital um, seminars and, and workshops and stuff, but could you give like, like one or two pieces of, of advice to our listeners out there? What would you have them do if they were from a context that did not have huge budgets or weren't really large churches? Um, because we know that Riverside and Trinity are going to be able to do that um, and, you know, very easily, right? Um, so what would, what would your advice be? Thank you for that question. It's a great question. And uh, because of time, and of course, my, uh, my work with Auburn, I, I certainly won't go into the entire presentation. Uh, but I do have 10 strategies for using social media. And this can apply for all congregations, no matter the size. And the first two things uh, that I share with people, number one is to be where your people are. And so in the same way that you would go to offline spaces to meet with your people, you can go to these online spaces to meet with your people, but not every online space. Go to the ones mm. where your people are. If you have a majority of your congregation using two out of, you know, the 2000 plus social platforms that exist, then invest in, you know, just some couple of hours to really dig into those platforms and learn about how to use them and then start slowly integrating them into ministry. The second thing I would suggest is to be yourself. Uh, there is this propensity to want to, you know, uh, make everything shiny and glittery and perfect online. And that's not always the case. People respond to what's real 
And if you are uh, a media guru and you can have 30 different platforms and you can train all these people to do these things, that's great. But if you can have one and that's maybe Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or something that just you feel like you can do this as a pastor and you can be yourself. Obviously, oversharing is not recommended. <laughs> there, there are boundaries. But in terms of just, you know, showing that you are a person and that these things are meaningful to you and integrating your work life into that by not having your church Facebook page or your church Twitter page be a glorified announcement section that just lists everything that's coming because then people will literally only go to it if they want to know what's coming up. But if it's stories and pictures and images that look at and celebrate and honor different aspects of not only your community, but your leadership in your life, that uh, I think comes back to a point that you made earlier. People are more, um, I think, uh, moved by a person and not an institution. And while the person does represent the institution, uh, the person in, in some ways, they're the gatekeeper, they're the door to access the institution. And if people online are not gonna, you know, like we did 30 and 40 years ago, pull out the yellow pages and call up and see who they can talk to, you know, they're gonna go to the Facebook page or the Twitter page and they're gonna just poke around for under a minute and in under a minute, they're assessing whether or not they're going to come visit your church or reach out to you as a pastor. And it has nothing to do with your, you know, uh, how many buttons you have on your website or, you know, all of that, like all of that matters. But when people are truly hungry and looking for community and looking for an affirming space that's accessible, they're looking at things that we might not necessarily um, pay attention to initially because we're so concerned with the details of the optics and you know all of this behind the scenes stuff that pastors should definitely be concerned with and this is why I say be yourself because you can't be everywhere and you can't be all things to all people but you can be where you are and you can be yourself so Lawrence you um sorry go ahead Marita I was just going to say, I love that because I'm just thinking about, um, you know, we have a smaller semi-rural church. I say semi because suburban sprawl is right up against us, but we don't have fiber optic going to our church. And so Mandy and I had to like right away decide how are we going to um, authentically be out in the world in a different way. And you know, we love to have conversations and be in relationship with people. So the podcast was what worked best for us, right? But there might be another platform that doesn't work as well for us. Um, so I, I really appreciate you honing in on authenticity, finding what works for you, not doing all the things. Um, so thank you for that. Go ahead, Mandy. Yeah, um, I just wanted you, you said early on the top five platforms. Will you just tell us, like, I think I know what they are, but I'm just curious if, if, if I really do. Yes. And so uh, interestingly enough, they reversed based on age. So I'll give you the two different sets. So for people who are over the age of 24, so 25 plus, the top five are YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and LinkedIn. 
Oh, interesting. That's not what I would have said. Okay, cool. <laughs> and for people under the age of 25, the top five are Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. Right. YouTube's a big one. And I think mostly because of the ability to share videos, but also like I think about younger uh, folks who I know in youth group, they will find a YouTube channel and just put it on and, and it's repeating videos for hours because it's, right. uh, you know, whoever their person or personality that they like and they create a ton of videos, it's a great platform that, for that personal connection. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting though, right? Because you say, um, you know, go to where your people are, right? And so um, if you have a primarily over 20, did you say 24 or 25? Um, that like, if, you're, if your current context is, you know, I mean, let's be honest, in churches, your current context is probably more like 40 to 70, right? Um, you're going to go to some platforms, right? Um, and you need to be in that space and, and, and pastoring to those, the people who you currently have. Um, but then there are all these ways to reach people um, that are maybe not coming yet or who, who are not your people yet, right? Um, so, so what would you say about, like we know um, one of our guests this season is um, a pastor of a church in Albuquerque, a UCC pastor who has this huge TikTok following, right? And she has talked about how, um, you know, the people she is pastoring to through this TikTok persona are not necessarily the people who are in her pews currently, um, but they are, you know, becoming a part of that community in this sort of new way. So I'm just interested in like, because you've identified this divide in even just the spaces, generational spaces, right? Um, what do you, what do you say about like, do you spend most of the time with the, where your people are? Do you spend, you know, like, how do you, how do you manage that time, right? Yeah, that's a great question. And and because of uh, overlap, thankfully, there is some overlap in terms of uh, YouTube overlaps with both groups, and so does Instagram. Right. Mm -hmm. So using, for example, those two platforms, and, you know, if you had the ability to add a third, I would add Facebook. If you, you know, uh, if you had an ability to add a fourth, I'd add Twitter, then a fifth TikTok. So then it builds, right? But if you needed to right. do one or two, YouTube and Instagram are where you can meet most of you, all of your people if you are talking about uh, under 18 and above 25. Mm -hmm. We need uh, to up our YouTube game, apparently. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> And the wonderful thing about YouTube is that when you do like training videos or mini sermons or, you know, children's stories, you can have different um, files that just are, you can send to families. Here's the folder for all of the children's stories. And mm -hmm. we have families during the pandemic that they would just find that YouTube channel and put the channel on autoplay and the kids would just get to hear a bunch of children's stories, you know, that we recorded last year or, you know, something that just you know, there are people that are coming that we know that we can see now. And certainly, 
they're the ones that are going to know where all of these things are and know to put that video on and they know that this is the children's program and there are going to be people who just stumble upon us and I will uh, share briefly we had a family that found us on Facebook because their church closed and they just started searching on Facebook for UCC churches in the area and found our church. And because of the pandemic, they weren't able to come and visit, but they reached out to us. I was able to connect them with some of the other families in the congregation. They were able to meet and they were they came to Zoom Sunday school for the kids for three weeks in a row. And now they're joining the church. And mm. I just think that's amazing because they still have not yet seen the building. <laughs> and, 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 and they still, and they live in the area. So again, there's a generation of folks who are not necessarily needing the attachment to a physical space, um, who are looking for the things that make church unique, community, uh, intentional, faithful, all of the things that we, we try to be as Christians. Can you talk to us about how you use the digital space to um, evoke particular experiences with the divine? Absolutely. I love this question because I think of the internet as a vehicle for the Holy Spirit. And I think that every time we connect to another person as a Christian, we have an obligation and a responsibility to make sure that we are aware of what kind of spiritual energy we are passing to this other person or to these other individuals. And as a pastor specifically, I am mindful of how my words, my energy, all of that impacts other people. And so with the internet, for example, I built my first <laughs> web page at 14. And it was just amazing because you know URLs at that time were like a whole page long, but it was still so fascinating that once I clicked enter, that information would be sent and seen all over the world. And so because of that, we have a tool that ancient humans didn't have. You know, some of the drawings and writings that we found from other civilizations, we're still finding those. Um, and, and they're amazing that they've survived thousands of years. I don't know what'll survive from this digital <laughs> part of our history in the next thousand, thousand years. But I think about the fact that, you know, when, um, and this is, you know, it might be a trigger, triggering moment for some, but when uh, George Floyd was tragically lynched online, um, you know, for me, I, I, I work and I live within miles of where that place was. And just the young woman's just streaming of this moment made me and people literally all over the world connect to this man's final breath. And in the same way, I went down to George Floyd Memorial you know, just uh, to wait out the reading of the verdict for uh, Derek Chauvin. And there was maybe 40 or 50 people there. And I was walking around and praying. And then I turned on my Facebook Live. And then within 30 minutes, there was 500 people there. 
So <laughs> when I say, you know, I'm down here at George Floyd Square praying with my people and waiting for this verdict, and then all of the people that saw that and then some came out to stand vigil and to watch and wait, the feeling was palpable. But what's interesting is that for me, I felt the feeling of the 500 or the 5,000 before they arrived because of holding my mobile device and knowing that as soon as I clicked connect, thousands of people have access to this moment. And so those are just two really, really visceral um, examples that I share because yes, I'm in Minneapolis right now and you know, all eyes are on us in terms of race and racism and police brutality because of recent events. And also because of media and digital media, we are the center of these efforts. And I wanna continue to use these tools to show people that not only can terrible, awful things be captured, but so can beautiful, moving, exciting things as well. Oh my goodness. You just like took that loaves and fishes text and like brought that like so contemporary. I've never like, that was, that was, uh, that was a highlight moment. So, wow. I, I, I thank you for, I don't even know if you meant it in that way. But when you said 505,000, I was like, that is like sharing the loaves and fishes. You are sharing this, um, this moment, this rich and nurturing and important moment with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I know that you've talked a little bit about some of the intersections um, with media and digital ministry and your local congregation. Could you hone in on one space over the last year where that has been especially important that some other local pastors can just hang their hat on and be like, yep, I can do that? Yeah, so the, the easy answer to that question is yes, I absolutely can. And the, the challenging, more nuanced answer is depending on your politics and personal preferences, it might be more challenging. For us, uh, we are a mid-sized congregation. Uh, we have a decent-sized staff, and yet we are still in a pandemic, and I'm still the lead pastor, so there's only so much we can do, right? So for us, I hang my hat on Facebook because it's free. Most of our congregation's on it, and we have the ability to have uh, secret or closed prayer groups so people can share things that are meaningful and not worry about it getting all over the place. We have rules and covenants in these spaces so that we can keep before the people the mission, vision, values of our church. Uh, we can keep pictures, you know, posted or videos so that during the pandemic and distancing, people didn't forget what we looked like, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but Facebook for us has been it. We broadcast our services live. We do pre-record them and put them on YouTube, but we release them live on Facebook so that we can still have that gathered community feeling where everyone is gathering together at 10 a.m. even though they can watch the service whenever they want. Um, 
but Facebook has been it for us because we can connect personally, we can connect uh, as a group, and then we can also have a space, a central location that archives all the information or videos or things that people would want to find out about the church. Yeah, Facebook has been an interesting um, virtual comfort space for so many of us because I think um, it's one of the maybe the oldest. I, I don't actually know, but it's yeah. the most familiar to, um, I think, the broadest range of all of us. I think we're just mostly missing uh, the young millennials and Gen Zs with Facebook. Yeah. But, but I think for most of our context, our demographics, um, that that is the most comfortable space. We've sort of outlined this question in the binary. Um, how does your work in the digital space either enhance or hinder our understanding of the more traditional institutions? And I think you have, you know, I think you've really talked about the ways that it enhances, right? Um, and as we all know, nothing's actually binary. But um, are there any ways that you would, um, that you think that this digital space challenges um, kind of our understanding of the traditional institution that it like, you know, may, may get in the way of sometimes the work that um, we're trying to do? Or would you say that, nope, this digital space is actually just enhancing what we're doing. It's, it's you know, kind of all good. You know, what's, what's so great about that question, Mandy, is that we've literally been trying to answer that question for 500 years. Right. <laughs> some, some aspect of, you know, technology, how does it impact the church and the institutions? And I think the quickest way to answer that and to make it as broad as possible is to think about the fact that everyone under 30 doesn't know anything other than social media. Like this isn't new right. for them. This, there is no picture of an institution apart from social media. There is no yeah. picture of life apart from social media if you're under 30. If you're over 30, there is this balance and there is this challenge of an attention between the two. But if you're under 30, there is no tension. Mm -hmm. And so if, if we can think about that, that it's really us needing to either wrap our brains around it or get out of the way if it's not for us, um, but that there is a whole generation of people for whom this is woven into the fabric of their existence. So whether we like it or get on board with it or engage it or not, everyone <laughs> literally under 30 will be integrating some aspect of media into their everyday lives, whether it's an app, a social media platform, or some sort of technology that tells them how they're driving and monitors, you know, whatever. There's all sorts of technology that we didn't have a hundred years ago or even 50 years ago that just is mainstream now that if we uh, think about a thriving and flourishing society, then we can uh, focus less on the specific institutions within that society and focus more on what do we need to flourish and thrive as a society. I think right. we had more of the, you know, the, the institutions uh, certainly are necessary. I believe that systems help us keep order and organization and all of that. Uh, and 
at the same time, we can't let our institutions define us. We define the institutions that we need to support the work that we want to do. Right. Yeah, that um, I'm, I'm just like, there's a there's a picture being painted in my head as you speak about um, those pieces in that like I'm I feel like I'm in um, as a Gen X, I'm definitely feeling the tension. 100%. Like, I feel like I have like one foot in one space and another foot in the other. And maybe that's because of my children who are Gen Z and are 100%, you know, uh, in um, have this media and digital stuff uh, integrated into their whole lives. And then like, this is, this is the big this is the big question and not to throw any generations under the bus. I love you all out there if you're listening to this, but I do think that um, we're at a space where there is an actual, um, I, I wanna say cold war <laughs> around, around the institution and the individual when it comes to ministry. And it, it's almost, it's and sometimes it's explicit sometimes it's implicit sometimes it's right out null but it is there and i don't i don't even know what to do with that sometimes i don't know if you've if these things have come up in some of some of your conversations or in in your lectures um at um, auburn or you know any of that but can you speak to that a little bit because that is like i'm just gonna throw it out right out there because it is the reality of our church, you know, nationally right now, as it's on the decline. I'm yeah. just really aware of that. So I also uh, work as a congregational consultant and trainer for Convergence US. Uh, and I love this question because this is a question that all of our mainline churches are grappling with these days. And, and part of what I can say to that is that we, um, are certainly at a crossroads. Um, and, and interestingly enough, <laughs> we have more boomers on Zoom than we have Gen Zs on Zoom. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, uh, in business, uh, whether it's a for-profit or non-profit organization, you have to do organizational restructuring or revisioning every three to five years to remain relevant as an organization. And the church itself has this unique ability to not want to do any change or restructuring. So when you say three to five years, most people will <laughs> kind of, you know, laugh at that because it's been 50 years from for some churches, you know, since they've revised their bylaws or their constitution. And I think that's where the problem is, right? Because if every three to five years we get in the habit of looking at, you know, what's in our closets, what's in the basement, what's in the attic, what do we need, what do we not need, what can we, you know, cycle back into use, uh, do we really need these hymnals that have been around since 1800, if not, why are they still here, you know, those sorts of things, right, and if we can answer those questions, then I think it will become uh, kind of uh, normalized 
to get to a place within the system or the life of a church and say, hey, what's new out there that we don't know about yet? Or what are we doing that we could be doing less of or more of? And I just think those sorts of internal audits keep all of us fresh and relevant. And when we lose sight of those sorts of opportunities, that's when we become stagnant or perhaps plateau and disconnect from really what's happening out in, in the world. Yeah, that's so good. It's funny because there's literally a box of hymnals behind me that I'm like, oh, I need to throw those away. And then there's this part of me that's like, oh my God, I can't, I'm going to get so much trouble. Right. Um, but I think like this, you know, you're, you're, you're speaking about both the, the, the like physical what's in the attic and what's in the basement. Right. And then there's the metaphorical what's in the attic and what's in the basement. And I think, you know, the pandemic has, has given us this huge opportunity to do that work, both you know, physically and metaphorically. And I think for us, as we are, um, you know, kind of coming back into our space, we really, we, uh, Marta and I really want to um, use that momentum from the pandemic to help, um, to help revision and, and re, you know, just, I mean, looking at all, asking those questions all the time, right, of, um, okay, so who are we going to be in this iteration of our life, as a congregation, right? And that that reiteration every single time, um, every three to five years or whatever the whatever the moment is. And I think we don't want to lose that momentum from um, this last year that we have been um, kind of forced to do that, right? And I think that if if church like the capital C church can can do that, um, maybe we won't become irrelevant. Maybe we won't actually completely die out, right? But but that takes some serious introspection and thoughtfulness and courage. Yeah. Yeah. Courage. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lawrence. This, um, this was actually a special treat. I'm glad that we got you on and I'm glad that you agreed to come and share of yourself and your experience in the world. It was, this was actually really, really good. And um, I could spend a lot longer picking your brain and talking <laughs> to you about these things. Well, I sincerely appreciate this invitation and opportunity. I enjoy talking with the two of you and I could talk to you both for much, much longer than this. So I sincerely hope that in the future, if opportunities arise, that you certainly uh can invite me back and I'd love to come back and, and, and share more and, and to hear more about what you're doing as well. And just thank you both for your work. Oh, thank, thank, you. thank you. Join us next week as we talk to Doug Padgett, the executive director of Vote Common Good. Vote Common Good is inspiring, energizing, and mobilizing people of faith to make the common good their voting criteria. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at JHLTB and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or become a patron on our Patreon account at patreon.com slash jhltb to commit monthly to this project. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. 
We give thanks to Black Forest Community Church and the Tributary Fund of the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ for their ongoing support. We could not do this without all who support Jesus has left the building.